Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. I'm so excited to preach this message. As soon as uh, Zach, well, I had to kind of bargain with him. I said, yeah, come out and do, uh, you know, do some worship for us. I'll preach in your church. <laughs> so, um, it was a quick, okay, let's do it, you know, agreed. Um, I'll be there. And so, like, literally, I feel like within a day, I had a word. The, this word just came to me. And it, like Zach said, it's been kind of percolating for, I don't know how long, a couple months, right? It's just been percolating. So this is a message for this church. And not to puff you up, but this isn't really a message that I would probably preach in most churches, but I really feel like this church can handle it and will not only handle it, but will drink it in. Um, Again, don't get puffed up, you know, but you, you guys are special, and there, there is something about this. So I don't always title messages, but the title I came up with a couple months ago was this, how to go from where you are to where you long to be. That's a bit long. Another title I thought of was developing a lifestyle of pursuit. Or we could just steal A.W. Tozer's classic book, The Pursuit of God. That would work. But I kind of landed on this title, Higher Ground. Higher Ground. And what do I mean by that? I mean, higher ground is essentially the wonderland of God himself. It's the, the treasure of God. It's him. He is the fullness of God. Higher ground is the place of increased spiritual power. It's the thing God has promised to us, uh, some of us thousands of times in our heart, always pulling us higher. When we were worshiping, the Lord really spoke to me, and, and I felt like God was, was challenging me and saying, I want you to think the way I think. Stop thinking small. Stop thinking small about yourself, about your church, about the region, about what I want to do in New England. Start thinking the way I'm thinking. God doesn't think small thoughts. God is always thinking way, way beyond what we can imagine. But higher ground is this place of power. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or imagine. It's depth of intimacy with God that Moses experienced. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that enables us to minister in power. Now, this message I have this morning, it's, it's very personal. You know, this is something, this, what I'm going to tell you about is something that I've devoted my life to for over three decades. And I'll just confess, I have not lived it at times. I've been in it deep during some seasons, and then I don't even know what happens. Like, get off track, get distracted. You know, you're trying to get up the higher ground. You know what happens when you're trying to climb that mountain, trying to take that higher ground? Oh, man. It's a fight, right? I mean, there's fiery darts coming at you. You're slipping and sliding. 
It's not like the devil is like, oh, you want to take some higher ground? Here you go. You know, let me, let me, let me roll out the carpet for you. Like, it seems like they, 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 they rouse, whoa, 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 whoa. They're like, you're not, you are not getting up here. You are not taking this higher ground. And there's a battle that happens. Man, you, you, you live down on the lower regions. <laughs> there's, there's no resistance. Satan's like, yeah, they're, they're just sleeping. They're fine. They're fine. Just maybe assign one little, little new demon, you know, to, to watch, uh, watch them. But as soon as you start going up toward the higher ground, then it's like you feel that resistance. So I'm, I am no expert in any of this, but I have um, tried to put these things into practice for a long time. All right, so I'm going to give you, uh, basically it's going to be laid out like this, three things that we need to do to prepare for the higher ground, to take the higher ground. And then uh, a little bit at the end, we'll just talk about what happens when we take the higher ground. How's that sound? You ready for it? All right, and notice there's no clocks in here. Oh, there's one way back there, and I can't even see that. No, I'm, I'm good. It's right here, right? Don't worry. I won't speak too long, I don't think. Try not to. All right. Number one, let God show you where you are compared to where you could be. James 4.9 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Joel chapter 2 says, Even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. This is always the starting place. The Lord gives us a glimpse of what is possible. I, it's not just one glimpse. It's many, right? I mean, I feel like just standing right there a half an hour ago, just the glimpses were coming of what is possible. God just opening my eyes. But he awakens us to our spiritual lameness and reveals how much more is available in him. It's awareness of where we are compared to where we could be. The realization that we are operating in a fraction of the anointing that is available. Now, the old saints used to, maybe you've heard this, used to call this experience, this strange experience, divine discontent. Have you ever heard of that? It's not the same as being negative or, uh, you know, being ungrateful, being a whiner. It's, we're not, it's not that, although it can kind of seem like that a little bit. It also doesn't mean you're backslidden. Not at all. In fact, we may be doing pretty well in our walk with God, working hard, sound in doctrine, you know, just doing the things, resisting sin. But there's a pining for nearness with God. Almost like a love sickness, right? 
and the gap between what we are and what we could be, it just wrecks us. It bothers us. And it kind of pulverizes our pride. Now, when this divine discontent begins to work in you, this is kind of a side note here, don't expect people around you to understand what's happening to you, okay? They just want you to be happy, right? (laughs) And they're going to try to cheer you up. What's the matter with you? Don't despise them for that because they, they just care for you. But just know that this work of divine discontent, listen, is often something that we have to go through alone. The Lord lets us sit in it sometimes for long seasons. I mean, don't some of the Psalms kind of read like that? Like, how long, where are you? Like, how long must I go about being oppressed by the enemy? Where are you? When shall I appear before you again? He lets us sit in it to kind of break us down and prepare us. It's not fun, but it's necessary. It reminds me of David's prayer of discontent in Psalm 63. Oh God, he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry, in a weary land where there is no water. Sometimes God just keeps us in that place that could be described like that in a dry and a weary place where there is no water. And he just keeps us there. It's not that we're not praying. We're praying. We're groaning. We're crying out. We're doing the things. We're we're, we're seeking his face, but there's this dryness. And I think in the early days of my walk with God, I was like, what is going on? What, why is this happening? There's something wrong with me. And I think now, in my older years, I'm praying a little bit different. I'm praying, Lord, keep me in the dry and weary land as long as you need to so that my heart will be prepared so that I can be fruitful. It's a different kind of prayer. It seems like God had David in this place more than once, right? The experience of divine discontent seems to happen. I don't know. For me, it's like every, how often, Tiff? Ask my wife, you know. (laughs) Every year, she's thinking, it's like, wait, every day. No, it seems like every, I don't know, every five years or seven years or something like that. And you know what's interesting? It seems like it happens when everything is going really well. Like, I just remember this, like, in 2008, man, we, we, like, tripled in a very short period of time. I mean, we're, like, reaching all these young adults. Everybody thought we were doing such a great thing. And I just, like, went into this, like, thing, into this, like, I am not, this is not it. I am, I was miserable in the Christmas of 2008. The kids probably still remember it. Oh, yeah, Dad, it was a lot of fun. But then coming into 2009, I just canceled everything. I'm like, we're not running around. We're not doing anything. We're not doing any outreach. We're not doing any of it. We're just going to seek the Lord. 
And so it, it, that discontent kind of, I don't know, you start changing things, changing your lifestyle, getting desperate. You're like, I, I just, I got to get a hold of God. I won't tell you that whole story, but that's another day, another day. All right, let's get to the second point because we don't want to get stuck in the uh, divine discontent, right? All right, number two, number two, here it is. Ruthlessly clear away everything that is not helpful in the pursuit of God. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside, get it out, right? Every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely or easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's a great chapter. Now, I'm not going to uh, go too deep into the dangers of sin. I trust that this church knows about that. I'm sure your leaders talk about uh, how sin, I mean, Zach even mentioned, how sin can has consequences. It hardens the heart, right? Sin is just a bad thing. It tear, tears uh, relationships apart. It tears churches apart. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and clouds our relationship with God. The scriptures never tell us, by the way, that uh, a little sin is fine, right? As long as you got most of it out, just like, just leave that little tiny bit. It's like, fine. It's fine. Other Christians have a little sin. It's like, fine. Don't, don't be such a, I don't know, legalist. No, the scriptures don't give us any comfort at all. About, even about like taking our sweet time, getting sin out of our lives, right? Like, oh yeah, just you know, a little bit at a time. Just, you know, we'll work on those, those things uh, maybe next year, the year after. Now there is a process, of course, but there's kind of this urgency, right? Like kill it, shun it, hate it, like get rid of it. I don't know how you read uh, the Apostle Paul's epistles. You know, get rid of all the fleshly lusts that so can destroy your life. Abstain, you know, Peter, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know, like some of the, the audio Bibles. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is just wrong. This is not the tone of the Apostle. Like, mortify the flesh, kill it, right? There's, there's an intensity about if you just read through the, the New Testament, all right, I'm not supposed to talk about it. This isn't even what I'm, but it's a thing, right? Get rid of sin if you want to come to higher grounds. I'll give you one verse on that, Psalm 24. This was a key verse in the, if you've read about the Hebrides revival, this comes to mind. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive, or that church will receive blessing from the Lord. Now don't be intimidated by that because the good news is Second um, Peter chapter 1 that God has given us everything we need for life and godly living. So it's not like, oh, we're going to pull up, you know, muster up the willpower. I'm going to you know, I'm going to conquer all the sin. Like, no, we're not. sin is way too strong for us. Way too strong for us. You might even be the most will-powered person in the room. I'm telling you, sin is too much for any of us. We need, that's where the grace of God comes. God supplies everything we need 
to live victorious. But what I want to emphasize in this point here is not so much clearing away the sins, but the weights, all right? Listen to me. Because we're all like, yeah, sin, it's evil, get it out. We all hate it. Let's talk about the weights. Weights are different from sins. These are the permissible things. The weights are the things that clutter our lives and make us spiritually dull. They are the things we do with our time and our energy that aren't sinful, but they aren't helpful. Illustration, it's not wrong for a mountain climber to carry his favorite bowling ball up the mountain. It's not wrong. Go ahead, you can do it. It's not a sin, but it's not helpful. I mean, we would, might even say it's kind of dumb to do that. And that's what we're talking about here. In order to take higher ground, there needs to be this kind of ruthless clearing away of everything that is not helpful. Let's get even more specific. Here's some things I'm talking about. Excessive social media scrolling, internet surfing, sports radio, social events, TV and movies, magazines, shopping, online shopping, at the store shopping, Novels and news work for some people. Actually, some people probably need to work harder, work more. But some people just work too much. Hobbies, house projects, games, travel. Travel. What is it with travel these days? Everybody's like away. You know, Christians go to church like once a month. You know, the average Christian. Why? Because they're, 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 they're always away. There's always somewhere to be. And then food, eating. Now, before you get all quiet on me, okay? Before we demonize any of these things, okay? Let's acknowledge that the Lord gives us things to enjoy, doesn't he? I mean, come on. They're blessings. But blessings become weights when consumed in excess. And the problem in America is we are excessive in everything. Excess is normal, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with enjoying ice cream. I love ice cream, all the different colors and flavors and everything like that, right? I mean, ice cream is like a blessing from the Lord. But if you're sitting down eating a, a half gallon of ice cream every single day and you can't stop, it's not a blessing anymore. It's a bondage and a weight. Someone once told me, uh, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it works for the illustration, that 90% of the art in the RISD Museum that they own is actually in storage. Isn't that interesting? That mean, and it's huge. Uh, that means that what is displayed is carefully curated according to whatever the theme is for that particular season, right? You see where I'm going with that? This will preach. What's the theme for your life? Like, what are the things that you need to curate out and keep in kind of in storage? Only have the things that matter. 
Now, this sounds really easy, right? This is when we're hearing it now. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. This is fine. You know, it's a, but it's amazing how attached. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm attached to things, to these little habits, these little stupid things that we do. They're just, I mean, I know they're not stupid. They're blessings or whatever. But I'm just saying that because they bring pleasure, they bring comfort, they bring amusement to us. Uh, some of them even bring a little bit of a dopamine rush, right? That's what they say about social media scrolling. It's like just a little, and man, we love that. We really, really love these things, and we don't want to give them up. Oh, we love Jesus, too. I mean, we love Jesus, but we want Jesus and everything else along with it. But I'm here to tell you that does not work because I've tried to make it work at times. And I always come back to the divine discontent and the whole thing. You know, it's like, because it doesn't work. And scripture actually has a lot to say about this. That you kind of, uh, you can't do both. You can't share, God won't share the throne of our heart with anyone or anything. You know, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right, it's 1 John 2. Again, I don't want you to see things that God has blessed you with as bad, okay? You know, saints through the ages kind of fell into that trap, right, of despising beauty and despising pleasure or comfort. But here's my word, strive for moderation. Be selective with what you put in your life. Your life is precious, don't just put anything in your life. This is, we get one shot at this. This is your one life right now. Like, be selective with what you put in, into your life. Redeem the time, the Bible says. Paul said to young Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. All right, let's hit the third point. Third point is this, in seeking to attain that higher ground. Devote yourself to building and maintaining a prayer fire. One simple verse, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Look for ways to spend more time with God. Extended time, you know, maybe entire days. Maybe instead of a vacation, go out in the woods for a few days. Early mornings, maybe your lunch break. Like, look for, come on. People who are in love, that's what they do, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, they're so busy, so busy, they fall in love, and all of a sudden, like, 23 hours open up in their schedule to, like, connect with the person that they love, right? Come on, because love will drive us there. Hunt for prayer meetings, and especially for people who have the spirit of prayer. Search for people who share that obsession to go deeper with God. So I'm talking about things like prayer, straight up prayer, the word, studying the word of God, uh, solitude, silence, contemplation, which is really, you know, it's kind of meditation, but you're really, God's spirit is all over that, and you're 
you're just kind of sitting before God and gazing, and he begins to, by his spirit, open things up to you, illuminate things to your heart. Spiritual reading. I mean, you can read all kinds of things. Everything's permissible, but like, choose some things that are meaty to read. Writing, if you're a writer. I mean, I love to write. It's my main way that I kind of sit before God and, and pour my heart out is through pen and paper. I love that. And fasting. The goal is not to just spend lots of hours every day doing these things. Because a lot of religious people do that, right? <laughs> Some all day long. The Pharisees, I mean, that's kind of what they were all about, right? The religious teachers, they prayed all day long. Jesus said, you don't even know who God is. You're serving your father, the devil. The cult religions and the, some of the Eastern religions uh, practice these things, prayer and fasting and meditation to an extreme, right? But they're devoid of spiritual power. So we're not talking about just doing these things mechanically. I mean, Jesus talked about that, right? Not just, you know, blah, 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 babble, babble, babble. You know, I just put in an hour. I prayed for four hours. Who cares how long you prayed for? Did you break through? Did, where, did you open your heart up to God? Like, we can just do it. You know, check, yeah, oh, I'm the man of God. I prayed for three hours. Like, it's not about that. I mean, think about, like, how Olympic athletes and stuff, do you think they're just like, oh, you know, I, I, I worked out today for three hours. Who cares? Like, they're, they're going to go and they're going to, they want to they progress, right? They want to, they want to get better by the end of the day. This is what we're talking about. The goal is to let God build a prayer fire within you. A fire is a great metaphor, isn't it? It's like it spreads, it's attractive. Love the fire metaphor in Scripture. But it also kind of talks about do not quench the Spirit's fire. Like do not throw wet cardboard on the sacred fire that God has ignited in your heart. It's a holy thing. We have to guard it. We have to uh, stoke it, keep it fed, or it'll go out. Which is precisely why we don't have fires. We have a fireplace. We never build fires because it's exhausting. You know, we just want to, we want to get the fake logs, you know, the chemical logs. Don't judge me. Okay, and just put those in. You light it. And then you just sit on the couch for like two hours or whatever with your wife. And it's like wonderful. But you get the real fire going. It's like, you get it going. This is awesome. And then like 30 seconds later, oh, I got to get up and stoke it and poke it and do things and open the front door and try to get air and all the stuff. And it's like, confessing my laziness. But like with spiritual habits, we, listen, we have to keep the fire burning. We have to. Because what can happen so easily, let's get really specific and personal right now, is we can get a spark in a gathering like this, right? A spark or even a little fire. You know, God pours out a little fire and you feel that flame inside of you, right? It's like, this is good. This is good. I'm feeling good in the house of God, in, in church. But if we spend the next six days, come on, consuming sports radio, scrolling, 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 shopping, 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 doing all these other things. Now, again, they're not maybe sinful things, though some of them get kind of close, right? 
It's like, how close can we get to sinful things without... It's dumb. But then, you know what happens is, then seven days later we come in and we're... What are we? We're like a smoldering wick. And we got to start all over again. (laughs) Come on, I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because I've done that. It's like exhausting. Oh, man. I feel I show up to church. I'm like a pile of wet cardboard. Here I am, Lord. And fine. It's fine. We'll start over, reset it. It's fine. God loves us. He'll, he'll like have mercy on us. But it's so much better to add fire to fire. Do you hear what I'm saying? Keep it burning. Guard it. It's a sacred thing. And part of why we need to ruthlessly clear away the clutter is so that we can develop momentum. Momentum, okay? What I mean by momentum is that the fire keeps growing. It just keeps growing. We aren't up and down and filled one day and then empty the next day. And, and I'm not talking about dryness and, you know, the dry and weary land and all that. So I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the spirit of prayer and the hunger and thirst in your life. Keep that burning. See, Satan doesn't like this. It's a threat. He does not want a church, an individual, to develop momentum. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's scary, right? That's scary. I mean, we get a little fire, and then they put some wet cardboard on. Get a little fire again, wet cardboard Get a little fire, wet carbon. I mean, we'll do that for years. And the enemy's like, yeah, I don't love the few moments when the, the, the fire comes, but they seem to put it out. They seem to quench it pretty quickly. So it, it's okay. I think it's okay. But somebody who's adding fire to fire and the fire keeps on growing and blazing and keeps, keeps on getting bigger and bigger, one degree of glory to the next, this becomes a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Momentum requires constant vigilance and unceasing prayer. Now, we do need times of physical, mental, and I was going to say social, (laughs) emotional rest. Some of us introverts need uh, rest from people, you know, need to kind of pull away. Even Jesus did that, departed to solitary places, right, to be alone with the Father. Jesus took naps. I love when they were out on the sea, he took a nap. Um, there are times, that's fine. All that is good. We're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting burned out physically. But there are no vacations in the spiritual war we are in. You may go on vacation, and that's nice. Rest your body and your mind and your emotions, but don't, don't you dare try to take a vacation spiritually because you will be vulnerable and the enemy is, he doesn't, he's not like, oh, Pastor Scott's on vacation. Let's just, okay, we have to respect the vacation schedule. No, that's like, oh, he's on vacation. He's going to be eating too much. He's going to let his guard down. He's going to kind of crash a little bit. This is the time when he is vulnerable. You know when pastors get most tempted? Monday. Because it's their crash day. And those are the days we need to learn to be vigilant. 
All right, I got to come in for a landing here. Actually, I want to give you a practical ap application just on this point that relates to you guys as a church. <sighs> Devote yourselves to the Tuesday prayer meeting. Don't get all touchy. Oh, Tuesday is my look. Just, can, just hear me for a moment. Devote yourself to the Tuesday prayer. Sure, go on vacation. We'll give you one, one week off a year. But I, I'm serious. Like 40 to 50 times a year, show up early, pray hard through the whole thing, you're not coming just to socialize or just to come and pray your heart out and stay late. That is a simple way to begin to build some momentum in your life. And then Sundays, I don't know, this whole thing with like, it's weird how people aren't going to church as much anymore. It's sad. I mean, we, we kind of grew up in, in our first days of walking with the Lord. We were in a large church, Times Square Church in New York City, and man, it was like the doors were always, you know, all day Sunday, then we're back on Tuesday, and they weren't like 45-minute services, you know, they, they were like, I don't know, two hours, two and a half, I don't even remember what the, it was like, how long are the services? I don't know, as long as they go. They're just two and a half hours, they just went, we gave God time, and then we were back on Thursday for the Thursday night prayer meeting, two and a half hours, three hours, just seeking the Lord, back on Friday for the corporate prayer gathering, sometimes there on Saturday. The frequency produces that momentum. Listen, I, I've been doing this. I know what I'm talking about right now. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying from experience, like good and bad, from my own failures. I know that there is no other way to keep the momentum in your life unless you spend frequent time seeking the Lord and worshiping with God's people. All right, I got to come in for a landing here. Let's give, those are my three points. Here's my, uh, my last thing I want to say to you. Just the beautiful thing that God will do when you prepare in these, in these ways. He will fulfill his promises. He will pour out his glory upon you. He will bring you into the higher ground. But listen what happens. What what happens is we, when we begin these preparations and in God's perfect time, he begins to unveil his, his holiness to us, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're feeling good. You're feeling like, I'm on fire. I'm like, I'm godly. I'm like one of the prophets. You know, you start feeling like you're all, you're all something. And God just like opens the curtain and shows you how holy he is. And you are ruined. You are crumpled. Uh, uh, right? It's like Job. You know, I've heard you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. These encounters break us. They break us. It's the granting of repentance, the purging of fire that comes in those times. It's the work of God of brokenness and contrition in us. L listen, there's no other way 
into the higher ground. We're not just going to like pray our way up there. We're not going to, it's like we can't sing our way up there. Read the Bible enough to get up there. Like there is no, the doorway is repentance. It's broken. Not just us like getting rid of things. That's part of repentance, but it's the God part of repentance where he grants repentance and breaks our heart, crushes us, puts us in the wine press and just kind of crushes the heart. And every time that's happened to me, because it's, I always feel like when I preach this, people are like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. That sounds, oh my gosh, like God just crushing you in the holiness and you're just pulverized, you're like crumbled up and you feel like nothing. Every time that that has happened to me, there's this underlying joy. Because you're like, yes, it's happening right now. This is it. This is the thing that I've been wanting. You know, this is, this is the thing I know needs to happen to bring me to higher ground. So it's not as bad as it sounds, okay? <laughs> so what am I saying in all this? Don't settle. Don't compare yourself to other Christians and think you've attained, you know. Listen. Some of you may be a Dixie cup of God's sweet anointing right now. But don't settle for that. He wants to make you an overflowing barrel. Some of you may be feeling good because you're like a 15-watt, 25-watt bulb, right, for Jesus. And you're feeling good. You're feeling like I'm illuminated. I'm good. I'm not a dead bulb. I'm not a broken bulb. I got some light going on. No, he wants to make you. I want you to think like God thinks. He wants to make you a thousand watt bulb. My last encouragement is that the Lord will lead us in this. He will provide. He's behind you. He's in front of you. He's inside of you. And maybe Satan's demons and devils will get all roused up and throw fiery darts at you and all that kind of stuff. Listen, don't be afraid of any of that. Because God is so excited for those who want to go to the higher ground. He's kind of like looking for, you know, like, oh, what is that verse? You know, his eyes look to and fro uh, upon the earth looking for someone who will fully commit He's looking for those who are saying, Lord, I, I'm, I just, yeah, I want to go there. I want the higher ground. And God's like, yes, I've been looking for people like you. And some of you may feel like, well, this higher ground stuff, you know, that's for, that's for Zach. You know, that's for Ashley. That's for, you know, that's for John Gagney. He's way up in higher ground all the time. You know, I'm just... I'm fine. You know, the Lord has ordained for me to be a 30-watt bulb, you know, to carry my little 10-ounce cup of anointing. And I'm content with that. Don't, who said that? Like, like, who told you that? Who told you God has only, you know, a Dixie cup for you? Now, the same anointing on... Zach or John or 
D.L. Moody or the Apostle Paul or Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley or Catherine Booth or any of the great men and women of God throughout history, that same anointing, I'm not saying the same giftings, but the same anointing, the same measure of the Spirit, the same storehouse that they tapped into is available to you. Right? Come on. So, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a plumber. Who cares? Most of the prophets were like, I don't know, shepherds and just, I don't even know what they did. They just did different jobs. It's not about, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I'm not one of these. Like, it doesn't matter what you are vocationally. We put too much, like, who cares about that? Just be on fire for God. Think like God thinks for your future. Jesus, do it. Lord, we, we want more, God, more of you, more of your power, more of your love, more of your presence in our lives. Lord, we don't want to settle for less. Can you just kind of break that, that mindset in us that just settles? We don't want to settle for lesser things. We pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or even imagine in our lives, in this church, that you would take this church way beyond anything they have even dreamt. Send revival in our generation. Amen. Let's seek the Lord. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you, and have the best day of your life.